0: This is the time of year to be outside. And many of us have gardens. This is the time of year for preparing the ground, for planting, for sowing, to get ready for for the summertime work to happen and for a harvest in the fall. And with all the work that our family has been doing outside and getting our gardens ready and such, I've had a good amount of time to ponder about gardening, but to ponder about how it applies to my life as a believer. Because the Bible makes a pretty strong comparison between things growing in the natural and things that go on in our hearts. The strongest example that comes to mind for that, and there are many, but the strongest example that I could think of is the parable of the sower. I mean, in this, Jesus is comparing seed being sown, which is gardening, but to the condition of people's hearts and the ability to receive the word of God in their very heart and how that can transform their life. The whole purpose of gardening is to bear fruit. If there was no hope for growth and produce and a harvest from my garden, I would not be out there doing it. (laughs) To me, that would be pointless, right? We expect a garden, a vegetable garden anyways, or a, a, you know, a vineyard, an orchard, whatever, to produce, and hence all the work that we put into it. To have a good harvest of fruit in a garden, you have to do a couple of things, and these are what we're going to look at this week and next week. To have a good harvest of fruit from your garden, first, you must guard and protect your garden. And if you've done a garden for long enough, you know there are many things that would like to get into your garden to eat the things that you have so worked so hard to prepare and to plant and to help to grow. And then in one night, you can have something sneak in there that destroys so much of the work that you have done. So you've got to guard the garden from things coming in but also you've got to guard it from the things that are already in there that seek to grow up among what you have already planted. those are weeds. And if you don't take care of the weeds in the garden, they will take over the garden because somehow weeds grow a lot easier than the things that we want to grow. So we've got to guard the garden. And then we've got to work at growing the garden. That's for next week. This week specifically, we're going to look at guarding our garden. And what that means in our lives as believers of of protecting um, what wants to come in to take what is already there in our life, the precious fruit in our relationship with the Lord. And then things that are already in our heart that we have to work at to weed out so it doesn't take over and destroy what is there. Our theme verse for today, so again, title for this morning, Guard the garden, guard the garden. And the theme verse is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4:23, and the King James says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In the New Living Translation, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What goes on inside of us. Including the heart, our our thoughts, our emotions, so much goes on in what we call our heart. If that is changed or altered or the fruit taken away or weeds grow up, it literally changes our decisions. It changes the direction of the course of our life if we allow our heart to get overgrown or taken over. Keep here means to guard, to protect, to maintain to preserve, to watch. It's a very active word. It says keep your heart. It means guard your heart, maintain your heart. And diligence here was interesting when I looked it up. I was not expecting this uh, definition. It, it means a guard, but specifically it means the man, the post, or the prison. It's a prison guard, either speaking of the person or of the the post, the spot that he has, the duty that he has. And so when it says, keep your heart with all diligence, it's the key takeaway is to protect our heart, to protect our emotions and our thoughts and what God is doing in our life, just like a prison guard stays on duty and does not leave his post. That's the thought here. Guard it with all diligence. What happens when you don't? Well, we know in the natural that, like we said, things get in. What happens if you don't fence your garden? Well, the deer love the garden, and the rabbits love the garden, and the groundhogs love the garden, and other little things that we don't even know what they are sneak underneath the ground and eat the the root vegetables in half, in rows. We don't even know what that is, but things love to come in and eat the garden. If you don't fence it, and if you don't weed it, stuff takes over. But there's a an interesting passage in Isaiah chapter five, we're going to read a few verses from it, not the whole passage, the passage is longer, um, but in Isaiah chapter five, and we're gonna read verses four through seven. It's God talking about Israel. And in this passage, he's talking like a gardener, like a vineyard worker, and he's done a lot of work in that vineyard, and it didn't produce the fruit that he was looking for. And so he says, In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, we'll read out of the ESV, it says, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And this is the part we want to focus on. Now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge or its barrier, and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. And it shall not be pruned or hoed. So I'm going to stop taking care of the weeds and stuff. And briars and thorns will grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And we'll stop there. But the Lord says when there's no boundary, when there's no um, wall, when there's no weeding happening, the default state is for things to take over and for the garden to be ruined. And if you've gardened long enough, you know that that's true in the natural. Jesus told those listening to him in John 15, verse 16, this is a very familiar verse because this is Seth's, our son Seth's life verse. We say this every single night. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. God wants the fruit of our life to remain, not to be devoured and taken away, and for, not for wrong things to grow up. So again, guard our heart with all diligence. Now we're gonna make this practical this morning. We're gonna look at some specific ways that we do that. And there's many things that we could go into. but well, we're gonna narrow it down into two specific areas with roughly three things for each of those two areas. The first area is outside influences. And the second area is things that are already within us. So let's talk about outside influences, or we could say things that we need an offense for. These are things that try to come in externally into our life. And as I was preparing this, the verse that kept coming over and over and over again was Psalms 1, verse 1. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 is a familiar verse, but it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way with sinners, and does not sit in the seat of the scornful. And there's our three right there. We'll talk about how there are other outside influences as well, but these three were coming to me again. And these are specifically people influence in our life that can affect the garden of our heart. They can, they can seek to ruin the fruit that is already in our life. And the first one is walking in the council of an ungodly person. Is there wisdom in seeking counsel? Absolutely. There's a lot of wisdom in getting advice from outside of ourselves, but we have to be cautious of the source of that advice. What is the source of the advice? As you know, I'm always interested in, in the definition of what the Bible you know, what what it says here, because sometimes we just have an English word, but what does that really mean? Sometimes there's a lot uh, more meaning. Sometimes it is exactly what we think. This was pretty close to what I actually thought. So counsel is advice. Walk not in the advice, and ungodly means morally wrong. If you look up what ungodly means, it is somebody who's living a morally wrong life. So it says, don't walk in the advice, of somebody who is morally wrong. Now, I think counsel is more than just generic advice. And the one example that kept coming to mind, excuse me uh, for this Jesse, but is, is Jesse in mechanics. Is there anything wrong with if Jesse doesn't know how to fix something with him calling a fellow mechanic who knows more and saying, how do I fix this problem if that person is not a believer? That's not what it's talking about when it talks about advice. It is talking about specific life direction counsel. What do I do in this area of my life? Where do I go? What does the Lord want me to do? So again, repairing a car is very different than where I go to university or what I study or who I'm in a relationship with or where I live who my friends are. These are much more involved in the direction of our life than just a general advice sort of a question. And that's what this verse is talking about, walking in the counsel of somebody who's living a morally wrong life. Somebody who's not living for God does not have a kingdom perspective. They don't. It's not part of their life, but it is part of our life as followers. And the person Somebody could be smarter than us. They could have more experience than us. But what is their life? What what are their moral standards? This is big for a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's difficult because the counsel could be coming from a family member, it could be coming from a boss, it could be coming from a student advisor. You know, it could be coming from from many other areas where somebody may be smarter than us and have more experience than us, but what is their life like morally? Now, we have to balance this and say, is it ever okay to receive counsel from somebody who's living a morally wrong life? Yes. Is their counsel ever correct? Yes. So what do you do? What's the balance of that? You seek counsel that you know is godly and say, hey, I received this counsel. Their life is questionable. The counsel seems okay. What do you think about it? And you also take it to the Lord too, and you pray on it and say, Lord, is this what you have for me to do? Because just because somebody is smarter and has more experience does not mean that is God's direction for your life. We've got to be really careful on those sorts of things. So check it with the Bible, check it with the Lord, check it with advisors that you know are correct. Because God says here, blessed are those who don't walk in the counsel of somebody who's morally wrong. And these days we've got to be real careful with that because there's a lot of moral um, error surrounding us. It says blessed, I mean that you want to have good fruit. You want to have a good garden. You want it to be blessed. This is what you do. The second thing it says here in Psalms 1 is blessed is the one who doesn't stand in the way of sinners or stand in the way with sinners is really what the thought is. It's not like stand in the way of like, I'm not going to let you pass. You're a sinner. You know, you're not a football guard. You are standing in the way with them. You are going along with them. I get this mental image with this psalm with these three different positions that it talks about. You know, walking is a, is a, is a motion, right? You're moving along, you're, you're walking down a, a path here, per se, walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but you're not living alongside that ungodly person. You're kind of walking along and your life intersects theirs and you're walking along, they give you a bit of advice and then you carry on and your lives don't necessarily intertwine. But when you're standing in the way with sinners, you're, you're like hanging around more, standing around talking. It's more of an a, 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 um, immobile position. You're in a spot, in a place. And then the next one we'll talk about when you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. You're like literally long-term, um, close relationship, visiting, spending time with, hanging out. So these are, are very different um, positions based on those words. To stand in the way of sinners, the way is a road or the course of life. So, again, the thought is the course of life, like you're doing life with the sinner. You're standing together with them. And sinner literally means criminal or the guilty. Criminal or the guilty. So, what the verse is not talking about, it's not saying don't have anything to do with sinners. Because if I asked for a show of hands on how many of us are sinners here, we would all put our hands up. We are all sinners. We all ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And we still do things that are wrong and need his forgiveness. That's not what it's talking about. But the thought when it says stand in the way with sinners is somebody who is choosing not to repent. They're choosing a wrong life and they're not, willing to make it right, they don't think probably that their life is wrong. One of the hardest things that you may ever have to do is to change your relationship with a close friend because of the path that they are taking in their life, because they are deciding to go in in the way of an unrepentant sinner. It's a very, very, very hard thing to have to do. Hopefully you never have to do that. But if you do, take it to the Lord and to people you trust, because it is difficult. And you have to ask the Lord, Lord, how do I guard my heart? Lord, I have this friend who loved you and Lord, they are walking away from you. It is clear. They're not like following you in another direction than I am because God's calling them in a different way. They are turning from you. Their life is turning from you, and I know they're doing things that are very wrong. Lord, how do I guard my heart so that I am not inf- infected or affected by them? How do I keep the fruit of my heart protected? The third thing here is to sit in the seat of the scornful. To sit in the seat of a scornful. Seat is a sight, a session, and abode an assembly, or a dwelling. It is a long-term, like I said, a long-term thing. Scornful is not a nice-sounding word, is it? Scorn. You know, it is to make mockery of or to scoff. So it's somebody who's using verbally their mouth, also their actions too, to make lightly of and to scorn and to scoff what is right, right? And uh, Sarah shared this with me this morning. She went over my message last night, as I usually like her to, just for make sure that I'm not saying anything erroneous. Um, but she, this morning, after thinking about it, said, you know, the Bible said Esau despised his birthright. I wonder if that's the same thing as scorning. And I looked it up in Genesis 25, verse 34. It literally says he despised his birthright. And that means to disesteem, to disdain, to condemn and to think to scorn. So when it says Esau despised his birthright, he scorned it. He was a scorner. And Esau was not somebody that you'd be wise to sit together with in life and to carry on in close relationship with because he was a scorner of what was good and right. And when you sit in the seat of a scorner, it means you're giving full ear to them. You're giving attention to what they have to say. You know, and if you're pursuing God, you want what is right for your life and you're pursuing his heart, you're pursuing a close walk with him and worshiping him and so on, but you pull alongside of life with an Esau, somebody who despises the birthright, somebody who despises what is right in their walk with the Lord. And you start listening to that person, you start hanging around with that person, It will change your heart. No matter how wholehearted you are, if you draw close to a scorner, the thought of sitting in the seat of means you're literally like them. You become like the scorner. And it is easy to be wholehearted for the Lord when you're surrounded by wholehearted people. It is difficult to be wholehearted for the Lord when you're surrounded by scorners. And you've got to again ask the Lord, say, Lord, how do I guard My heart, especially relationally, depends who this scorner is in relationship to you. Sometimes it's easy to separate. Other times it's very difficult. And so you say, Lord, how do I guard my heart? How do I protect the fruit of my garden in my life? Lord, I do not want to be a scorner. Lord, I do not want to be a critical, negative person who pulls others away from walking in your ways. Lord, I don't want to be affected that way. It takes wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 10 says, cast out a scorner and contention shall go out. A strife and reproach shall cease. So when there's distance from the scorner, strife disappears. And you'll find if you're around somebody who's a scorner, your heart ends up in strife and contemption. You end up confused inside. You end up in, in, in turmoil internally. And so when there is distance, when there's separation there from somebody, and again, this is not somebody who's struggling. This is not somebody who's trying to do what is right and seeking to do what's right and is, and is struggling and have a difficulty. A scorner is somebody who's blatantly opposed and negative and critical and is and when you're together with them, they're infecting you with those things. So as you are able to with distance, you will find that the strife and the contention in your own heart clears up. And I know this because Sarah and I went through this at one point. We were in, in close proximity relation to a scorner. And we did not realize how our lives had been infected by it until we were away from it for a little while. And then we started to realize how even our thought processes had been changed, how we had become more critical, we'd become more negative because of how we were being infected by the scorner. But what made the change was the distance. Again, that's really difficult depending on your relationship with this person. But say, Lord, how do I guard my heart with all diligence? I mean, if it's your spouse, you can't get away. Right? So you don't say, okay, there's a fence there. Sorry. But you say, Lord, I'm in this. How do I guard my heart? And I've seen people do this. I've seen people married to a scorner, a couple of different people I've known. And, and yeah. amazingly, their spouse is, is a sweet, lovely person. Like, like um, I'm not going to remember their names, but the people in the Old Testament with David. Um, what's that? Abigail. Abigail and Nabal. Brain freeze. I mean, Nabal was a was not a nice guy. He was a hard-hearted scorner, and Abigail was a super sweet lady. So it's possible. It is possible to guard your heart even in close proximity, but it's not easy. Okay, so these are three three ways that people can affect our garden of our hearts. The counsel of a morally wrong person, walking closely with somebody who's walking in sin and and refusing to repent from it and spending a lot of time with somebody who is a scorner and critical and negative. Those are wrong people. I'm gonna touch on this as well because obviously there are wrong things that can try to come into our garden. And the wrong things have to do basically with our senses, with our sight, and with our hearing, and with our feeling, and maybe even our our tasting. It depends on, on who you are and what you're drawn to. If you could remove all your five senses, I don't think you'd have any problem with the sins coming into your garden of your heart in this way, but I'm glad I have my senses because that would not be a pleasant life either. So for instance, I'm just touching on a couple really quickly, and then we'll move on, because the point that I felt the Lord was laying on me is the influence of the wrong people in our life. But something like wrong things, you know, if we take in violence constantly in, in video games or in movies or in magazines or the internet, it will affect the garden of our heart. I don't care what people say. You can't spend a lot of time viewing violence without it changing you. So there's a way a wrong thing can come in. Sexual sin as well. You can't spend your time meditating on it and viewing it without it changing you. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on a woman. He said, I've guarded myself in this area. It's like there's a fence there. It's not going to come into the garden of my heart. And he made that covenant. If we allow ourselves, so there's eyes right there, right? When we take in things, our ears, we allow ourselves to listen to gossip. We allow that influence to come in. uh, It will affect us. Our taste, if we allow ourselves to taste what we know is wrong, it's illicit drugs or other things like that. Through that sense, our garden can be affected as well. So these are natural ways of things that can come in that will hurt our heart and our walk with the Lord and take our precious fruit out. Let's look at the other area. One that we can probably relate to in just about every way because of our sin nature. These are the things that are inside flaws, the things that are already in us. And I think often there's, the Lord even allows outside influence and outside things to bring out the weeds that are already in us. So the things that need to be weeded, they're already in the fence. You know, it's interesting, in the wintertime here, basically nothing grows. You can look at the garden and go, wow, that is such a nice, clean garden. That's such a perfectly weeded garden. Wow, dirt looks amazing. And then as soon as the temperature starts to rise, guess what comes up? All the things you couldn't see. All the weeds start to rise so quickly and take over the garden. Well, guess what happens in our dormant heart when the temperature starts to rise? That's when the weeds come out. When the heat gets turned up in our life, the things that are dormant grow. So what comes out of our heart when the heat rises? Is it good fruit or is it weeds? We hope for good fruit and good plants, right? I came across a poem that I'm going to read as we're getting into this. Again, I have three points on inside flaws, things that need to be weeded out, Um, but I want to read a poem, uh, not necessarily a Christian poem, I don't think, but it was very apropos for the message. It's written by Alora M. Knight. What seeds have you been planting? in the garden of your heart. What will be forthcoming when the germination starts? Thoughts are the seedlings that we use. Of this, there is no doubt. The fertile soil within our minds, we never are without. If gracious thoughts are planted, the returns will surely be a harvest full of beauty, which you will plainly see. If your thoughts are dark and dreary, you are very apt to find The weeds will soon be growing, the most depressing kind. Once they have gained a foothold, they will not want to leave. They'll thrive on your unhappiness, making sure that you will grieve. It is hard to keep bad thoughts away. Some are bound to filter in. The thing that's so important is that you must sweep them out again before they get a chance to grow. That way, you're sure to find Each day will be rewarding for you'll have peace of mind. Sweep out the weeds or pluck the weeds, tear them out. Don't let them stay in the garden of your heart. So again, three things I want to look at today, and there are many we could say, but the first one that is a necessary weed that so easily grows, at least in my heart, I'm going to assume in most of us because we're human, is offenses. An offense. I didn't share this with my wife. She saw the notes, but probably didn't know what it was referring to. But I was out mowing the other day, mowing our lawn, because it was a hayfield. And I I was mowing it on on Friday. And I'd got done with the the part around our house and was getting ready to head off to do the orchard. And she saw a part that I had done and uh, was not very happy with where I'd blown the grass shavings and made a comment about it. And that's not the point of the story. The point was what happened in my heart. Cause what happened in my heart was, you know, I've just spent this time making this nice lawn. I was thinking of getting the shavings away so when it rains tomorrow, the kids won't get the grass all over their feet. Like I'm, I'm going through these mental processes of why I did what I did and why I was right and why she was wrong. And I was offended. So I went up in the orchard and started mowing up there. And after a couple minutes, I said, you know, this is not right. Because I know my wife and I know she did not mean to offend me first. And I know even if she did, it's not right for me to dwell here. It's a beautiful sunny day out on Friday and I'm storm clouds while I'm out mowing. And so I said, you know, Lord, help me to stop thinking like this. And I pulled the weed. I said, that's it. I'm not thinking about this anymore. I'm moving on. And it was literally like I just pulled the weed out of the garden and that offense was gone. And then I was carried on through the rest of the day. and She doesn't know about it because I didn't say anything about it. I forgot about it till I was putting my sermon together. I'm like, oh, you know, that's a perfect example of an offense and how we should deal with it. That's minor. I realize some things happen in our life that are major And the offenses from those can become major weeds that are a lot harder to pull out. Or if we've been dwelling on it for a long time, it can be really hard to pull out. We may need counsel from a spiritual advisor, a pastor, or to the word of God or something to help us to work through it. But even the biggest of weeds can still be removed. Sometimes they just need more special equipment than just a hand pull little offenses that you haven't been dwelling on very long. You know, the Bible tells us, don't live in offense, don't walk in offense. It is our responsibility to say, Lord, help me and to move on. Offenses turn into the next point. The second thing, and these are roots of bitterness. Roots of bitterness is the second area of things that are in our garden uh, that can grow there. The theme verse here is Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, this is out of the New Living Translation, says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. A familiar verse if you've been in in church, at least in our circles, for very long. But it, it, it makes a gardening comparison, right? It calls bitterness a root, a plant that can be in your garden. And it says, watch out. Don't let that poisonous root. Now, that's a very bad thing. If the Bible calls something a poisonous root and says, watch out, it's not something that you want or I want in my life, it's a root. So it can hide. Bitterness can hide for a long time. but it will eventually start sprouting above the surface. and then people will realize, and some people will realize it and, and say, "I don't want anything and, you know to be near this," and other people will realize and be attracted too. but people can be corrupted through a bitter person by that root that is growing. And bitterness is poisonous because it will ruin you. It will destroy you, and it will destroy me if we allow it. Whether you are the bitter person or whether you are one of the many corrupted by a bitter person, it will ruin you if you allow that in the garden of your heart. I find it interesting here in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 that verse 14 talks about living at peace with everybody and living a holy life. And then verse 15 talks about bitterness and roots of bitterness by those that we are surrounded by. And I say I find this interesting because this is one of the hardest balances that I find in my life as a believer, walking in peace with everybody, but pursuing God with a whole heart. That is a really hard thing To do, And if we are out of balance in this, in being able to live at peace with others, especially other believers, but also pursue holiness and follow wholehearted after God, if we're out of balance in that, we can easily find roots of bitterness start to grow up in us because of how we are affected by those that we see around us. So, for instance, if we seek to live at peace with everybody, but we don't pursue holiness. We don't pursue God's heart and walking in his ways. I think it's pretty easy to become bitter at those who do pursue holiness because now we view them as ones who don't live at peace. We view them as, well, they're, they're just, you know, they're just whatever they're doing, you know, <laughs> but oh, they're so wrong in their relationship with this person. They're so wrong in how they handle this. And we easily get that root in us if we again, we ourselves now are not seeking it, living at peace with everybody because now we're viewing them and going, they're so this and they're so that and now we've got a heart problem. If we pursue holiness on the other side, but fail to pursue peace with others, we're likely to become bitter at those who do pursue peace with others because we can say, oh, they're, they're not, you know, they're, drawing close to this person, or they're listening to that person, or getting together with that person, and they're wrong, and you know, so we easily get affected and infected again. The Bible put these two verses together on purpose. Pursue peace with everybody. That should be a life verse for all of us, okay? Pursue peace with everybody and live in holiness should also be a life verse for all of us. This is the balance of our Christian life. And if we don't, roots of bitterness will start to spring up. And it doesn't really matter who's right and who's wrong in a situation. The bitter person is always wrong. And I'm saying right and wrong as far as informationally or pursuing holiness or living at peace. You can be more right and more wrong in that area. But if your heart has become bitter or my heart has become bitter, I'm wrong because I'm not walking according to God's ways. The verse also mentions we're to look out for each other. It says that very clearly in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. So this is not just something we do on our own. This is something that we pray for each other about and we try to help each other walk accordingly as best that we can. And there is grace to live in that balance of living at peace and pursuing holiness. We don't want to fail of that grace. So that's the second thing. So offenses can grow up in our garden of our hearts. Bitterness can root in deep. And there are some plants in the natural Pokeberry comes to mind, if you know what that is. gets to be a big plant with nice-looking fruit, but you go to dig up the roots, and it's like you're trying to dig up an octopus that's under the ground. Literally, I've done it more than once. And literally, the plant base is here, and the roots are this big, and they go for feet feet and feet and feet and feet and feet, and then you'll see another plant come up way over there. And so this I don't know, it's just coming to me. That's a great example of a root of bitterness. Huge roots can go and infect and then grow up over here and grow up over there. It's like bitterness in our hearts or in somebody else's heart. can go underground. Big roots can take place, even though the plant above isn't huge, but it will come out and other people will be affected. And we don't want that in the garden of our heart. The third thing is from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. And I call this losing heart. Losing heart. Let's go to Proverbs 24 and verse 30. It says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Is this garden in a good state or a bad state? Bad, right? If I was gardening, this is not the garden that I want. It's not the one I'm after. But why is it like this? So Solomon says, I went by the field of the slothful. He gives one thing there. That's not really our focus uh, for today. But the second thing he says is, by the vineyard of the man, void of understanding. And if you look up what understanding means, that word understanding in just about every other usage, and there are many of them in the Old Testament, is the word translated heart. So it says, by the vineyard of the man void of heart, or lacking heart. So it was the person who stopped caring. They're just like, meh. This is too much. I just don't feel like it anymore. I've worked at this a long time. It's too difficult. I give up. I quit. These are some things that somebody who lacks heart might say because they just don't care anymore. But what they had was lost. Their garden became overrun with what shouldn't have been there because they stopped fighting. They stopped caring they stopped working. If we do this in our walk with the Lord, we will turn away from the Lord. We can't lose heart. Another way of saying it might be losing hope. As we heard Sister Lois say in Sunday school, we cannot let ourselves lose hope or we'll quit. And things easily take over our life. And we've seen it. If you've been in Christianity long enough and have You know, been Christian friends long enough, you'll see people lose hope, they'll lose heart, they stop caring, and what do they do? They fairly quickly stop doing the good things they knew were right, the things they'd been doing, and they pretty quickly start doing the wrong things that they knew were wrong, and it takes over their life. But one of the very first steps that happened was they stopped caring, and they lost heart. Proverbs 18, 14 says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? We can get through a lot of physical difficulty. That's what it means when it says bears sickness. Like, okay, life's difficult, but we can press through this. But when the spirit gets crushed, which means I don't care anymore, I quit, I give up. Who can bear it? Who can carry on with a heart that's like that? You can't. So we've got to guard our heart with all diligence against this weed of giving up or losing heart. So how do I protect my garden? In conclusion here, we're, we're basically done. But how do I protect my garden, the garden of my heart? And the, the very first thing and, and main thing, the highest priority thing and just about the, the only thing that came to mind is to go to the master gardener. If you have some outside influence that's affecting your heart trying to get in your garden or you've got uh, things that are growing in your garden that are wrong, the very first thing to do is to run to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your wisdom. And Lord, I know I've got things I need to do. I need your strength to do them. So when faced with an outside intruder, run to the Lord. Lord, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this person in my life or this wrong thing in my life that is influencing me? And ask the Lord how to know how to guard your heart in a way that's still working at living in peace with everybody to the best of your ability. And when faced with an inside flaw, run to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your grace. Help me not to fail of your grace because I want to overcome this. And then after you've gone to the Lord, be ruthless about pulling out the weeds that are in your garden. Be ruthless about it. Just like I was with the offense a couple days ago. Say, no, I'm done. It's it. I don't want this. There's no place in my garden for this weed. And if you're losing heart and you're not caring anymore, say, Lord, please revive my heart. Please restore me in my walk with you and help me to make you the most important thing. Amen. Let's go to the Lord, the master gardener in prayer as we close today. And if any of these things spoke to you, you, you have a, an outside influence, a person or a thing that is, you know is trying to get in the garden of your heart and you know it's affecting you and it's taking the fruit of your life away, it's turning you away from your walk with the Lord, you know that. Or if you know you've got a weed in your heart, an offense or a bitterness, or you're just losing heart and not caring as much, take a minute here and take that to the master gardener and ask for his wisdom and for his help. And then we'll close in prayer. Lord, we come to you as the master gardener, as the one who knows our hearts, the garden of our hearts even better than we do. Lord, you know what our soil needs. You know what, even what things may try to infiltrate us, our, our, the fence, the garden, you know, into our, our garden, Lord, that we are not aware of or what weeds even roots of bitterness that we are not aware that are there, Lord, but you can see them starting. Lord, you know all these things. And we come to you as the master gardener and are asking you for help. Lord, help our garden to be protected, to be pure, to grow good fruit. So we'll talk about next week, Lord. But I pray that, that we would have your help in our life Lord, to avoid offenses, to avoid bitterness, to not lose heart. Lord, and that we would have your help if we are, you know, receiving counsel from somebody who's morally wrong, life counsel, Lord, or or we're drawn to somebody who is unrepentant in their sinful way, Lord, or we're we're with somebody who is just scornful of their walk with you, or even maybe of our walk with you, Lord. Give us wisdom to know how to keep our heart, the garden of our heart, with all diligence. For it is so important, it will direct the course of our life. And Lord, help us to pursue you with a whole heart all of our days. We pray this in your name. Amen.